We're in 1 Thessalonians. We've been going through the, the letter to the Thessalonian church. And we looked at Thessalonians this way, called it God, the Gospel, in three weeks. Because Paul says he was, he was in Thessalonica for three Saturdays. And in three Saturdays, everything that happened and the change in the lives of these people that we read about in Thessalonica took place. Three weeks. And then maybe it's a month later that he's writing this letter. So just, we kind of subtitled it, What a Big God Can Do with Just a Little Bit of Time. So we've moved through this book and been encouraged by what their story was and how that can be our story. One of the things I love about church is just the stories. Your stories, some of you are going to the mic and you're saying, this is what I needed and, and I've gotten to know your story and I, I just love that. But we're, we're this room full of people with stories that God has come into and changed and is now unfolding his plan and then eventually he's going to come into your story in, in a really unique and powerful way. We were looking last week at the end of, of 1 Thessalonians 4 and they were wrestling with what happens to people that have come to Jesus but die before he comes back? And so Paul answers that question that there's just going to be this moment where Jesus instantly returns and snatches or gathers, as the text says, snatches believers before, as I understand the scriptures, before this seven-year period of judgment on the world begins called the Great Tribulation. So we know what, what's happened to them, what's ahead for them, what's ahead for everybody else? And that's kind of where he goes in, in chapter five. What's the next part of God's story? So let me read these first eight verses of First uh, Thessalonians 5. He says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you're all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. You know, at the end of chapter four, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And in, at the end of this passage, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. And one thing we, important to pick up is when we encourage each other, the biggest thing we can do to encourage someone is to give them the truth. This is what God says. We, we, a lot of times we'll encourage people with our stories, but they're not you and their stories are not the same as you. So man, nothing better than scripture, what God has said to build someone up. So here's where we are in this passage. He speaks of the day of the Lord and that's coming. If you are unaware the day of the Lord is coming, you're going to live oblivious to it. If you are unaware that this great and mighty and awesome day of the Lord is coming, you're going to live like you're oblivious that that's happening. They, they knew this, and you get that sense in the first couple of verses. I don't need to write anything to you. You already know this. There's a large Jewish uh, population in Thessalonica made up a lot of this church and so they would know day of the Lord yeah we get that 
is 19 times. It's in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. And so they knew that this day that God has set aside was coming for them. Most people don't know that. You know, it's interesting to me that evidently that was a part of early basic New, New Testament Christianity teaching. Because if he's only there three weeks, and yet he says to them, hey, I've already taught you about the end times. Must have been really basic. And that's, that's one of my takeaways. Wow, we need to build that into our early, early stuff with people that are new to Jesus. Yeah, that he's coming back, and here's how his plan is going to, going to unfold. Most people don't. It's, there's a surprise thread that runs through a lot of the verses about the day of the Lord. Thief in the night. You, didn't, you, know, you don't have coffee waiting for the thief that's coming to your house you know, on Tuesday night. That's why he uses the picture. Thief in the night, nobody knew, nobody knew he was coming. Nobody knew that was the time. Nobody, nobody knew that was the hour. There's a sense, a, a false sense of safety. As you see, he says, while they are saying in verse 3, there is peace and there's security. Two things we need. We have nothing to worry about. We have peace and we have security. One of my, one of my pastor buddies was saying a little bit into COVID that he was reading an article and it referenced this passage and it says, what, is, what are the two words that are going to describe the end of this COVID season? We're finally at peace and we can go out and be secure. Isn't that interesting? But those are the two things so important now that were, that were kind of not on our mind so much last year at this time when we were eating away and, and watching football and screaming, sitting on the couch next to each other. But now, peace and security, those words have, have bumped way up. People in that day, like in Jeremiah's day, are going to be saying, there's nothing to worry about. We're at peace. Remember Jeremiah, it says, you, you guys are saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. You know, there's peace maybe as your life and your perspective, but there's not peace between the God of the universe and what he expects to be done on, on the world. And so it's the day of the Lord is not, is going to catch people by surprise because they think everything's, everything's looking good. As in the days of Noah, Jesus says, when after 100 years of building that ark and telling people, listen, judgment's coming, you got to change. And nobody resist, nobody believing that, Jesus said even up to that day, people were getting married because they thought life was just going to go on like normal, or Lot trying to convince his, his family and his sons-in-law that God's judgment was about to come on that city and, and he had to drag his family out and then lost his wife along the way. Or, or John the Baptist who shows up and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. You've got to repent because here it is and the, the kingdom of God is vastly different than the way we're living. So all these times through scripture where the day of the Lord or increments of it is, are just about to show up, usually people are unaware of that. There's, it's a, it has that surprise element to that. It has a surprise element like a woman going into labor. You know, if you're, oh man, is it, it's just dangerous for men to talk about that, isn't it? Because I was going to say, I was going to say, but I thought better. So I hope that, I hope that counts. If you're lucky and had a cesarean, at least you knew this, hey, this is when this is going to happen. That's our daughter, Joy, that just had Sadie. She knew. She went in. We were scheduled. We were there. We were there watching the other kids. So that's when it's going to happen. But if you don't go that route, you don't know. And those, those pains come. And is this the time or is this false? Is this real or is this fake? Or is this how you ever go? 
You know, you know our story, some of you know our story. With our firstborn, Joy came early. She came three weeks early. We'd only gone to like two classes. So we didn't know what was going on. So Cindy says to me in the morning, she says, I think my water broke. So I get out my little Lamaze booklet and I'm reading through it. And I said, that's not your water. She says, I, th- I think it is. It's real. Look at it. I said, no, it's not your water. I think you can go to work. She said, yeah. She said, really? I said, yeah, I think you're okay. So she said, why? I said, because it's not green. Said, yeah, all you medical people, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. So send her to work. She goes to work. And uh, a couple hours later, she's in labor delivery. Who would have thought? Yeah, so, so I'm running over. The seminary was a couple blocks from the hospital, so I'm running over. And just so Lord can rub that in my face, as I'm, as I'm getting to the hospital, our obstetrician, who was our small group leader, <laughs> was going to the hospital. And he says to me, you sent her to work? <laughs> and I said, it wasn't green. And he said, green is an infection, you idiot. So, yeah. So, you know, caught by surprise. I, get, I totally get that. I get that picture. I get that picture. And so, for the rest of my life, I'm going to get that picture, yeah. The day of the Lord, it's coming like a thief. It's coming like labor. You didn't, you didn't know when it was coming. When it comes, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I've heard, of, I've heard of moms or new moms who start you know, the process, they're in labor delivery, and they'll say, I'm not sure I want to do this. <laughs> you know? You know, some reason, Carol King comes to mind. It's too late, baby. You know, it is too late now, you know, because this thing is going to happen like the day of the Lord. When it starts to come, it's coming. And, and there'll be all those things, and it's going to be... He picks this picture that has great pain, and yet in the delivery has such joy, just like the day of the Lord. It's going to have such, such destruction. Do you see that's the one word he uses to, to describe in verse 3? And while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. That's the one word he uses to describe the day of the Lord, which, you know, the day of the Lord is used in different ways in the scripture. Sometimes it's used, some people believe there's a sense of the day of the Lord started with um, the cross and will go until uh, the, end of, the end of age and we go into eternity. Specific, the specific day of the Lord, it seems to be that seven-year tri- tribulation period, which is going to be characterized by destruction. When you read, when you read Revelation, it's very different from Genesis 1 and 2 when Tyler was preaching that to us. Genesis 1 and 2, you have beauty and creation. When you read Revelation, you're reading destruction as God, as God brings judgment on the planet in hopes that people will repent. You keep finding, but people still wouldn't repent. And so God does this and people still wouldn't repent. And at one point in the book of Revelation, you've got angels flying over the earth sharing the gospel and people still will not repent. And so as, as much destruction as you're going to, we see through the tribulation, you see mercy through, through tribulation in, in all of that happening. You know, the day of the Lord, I was thinking it's God and all of his godness. You know, we, we see his mercy now and his grace and he's tolerating what's happening in the world so much. But when you get to the day of the Lord, now he shows up in all of his godness and now he's going to begin to bring judgment that he's been withholding now because he can't withhold judgment indefinitely and be a just and righteous God. And so in the day of the Lord, you see him as he is. In fact, watch what, how Old Testament will describe. And just give you several verses that just look to the head of the day of the Lord. In Isaiah 13, it says, wait, for the day of the Lord is near. 
as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They'll be dismayed. Pangs and agony will, will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will, they will look aghast at one another and their faces will be aflame. Let's move through. You can see most of them in the, in the uh, prophets. In Joel, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It's near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there, that is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Their, their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the, through the years of all the generations. Here comes the day of the Lord. It comes as darkness. A, later, a little later in Joel chapter 2, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's a thread that goes through the day of the Lord as, as you get to the final end of that time. The, the sun goes dark, the moon turns to blood. A little later in Joel, in chapter 3, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. And then the prophet of Amos, is not the day of the Lord darkness, and not light, and gloom, and no brightness in it? Isn't it a day when... God's judgment comes and everything starts to, to go dark and stop. Or in Obadiah, that one chapter prophet, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it, will, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own heads. He's speaking nation, nationally there. Yeah. Um, let me go on to the Malachi, to the last book of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. There's mercy. Mercy in announcing judgment and mercy in the coming judgment. See, if you're unaware of the day of the Lord, you'll live oblivious to it. If you are unaware that it's coming and what that means for people, then you're just going to go through your life and you're just going to try to make peace and safety, really, peace and security for your own journey and for your own life. But Paul is writing to brothers and sisters to let them know, so that's coming. How, what are we supposed to do while that comes? Or, or not while it comes, but rather until it comes. You know, most of the way through this chapter, he's speaking about they, they, through this time, you know, in verse 3, while people are saying, uh, uh, and what will happen to them. It's not speaking to us because I believe out of chapter 4 showed we won't be here during that time. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you're a follower of his, then, then he takes us away before that happens. And then you get this last period of seven years, which I believe Daniel 9 speaks is to the people of Israel as God begins to renew his plan with them. But you need to be aware that it is coming and live in light of it. See, if you're aware that it's, if you're aware that it's coming, then let me just, I don't know, I had to touch the other side of that. Then you're going to live wide awake to it. If you're aware that Jesus is coming, if you're aware that you're going to stand before him, if you're aware that judgment is coming upon the whole world, you're going to live wide awake to that. It's going to be a reality that, that you live in light of that. You know, and you are aware of it because we just read it. If you never knew this before, we know it now. We know that the day of the Lord is coming because we just saw the scripture and then we saw multiple scriptures that spoke to it. And so he speaks to us, you know, what are we supposed to live like? What are we supposed to look like in light of that? And he uses these, he uses these pictures for us. And he says, you know, that we are not in the dark. 
Yeah, as so many people are, as so many people are in the dark. So many of your, your little stories here, when you're talking about what you needed, you reflected that, yeah, we used to be in the dark. That's where we used to live, and that's where we used to be. It says in Ephesians 5, for at one time you were darkness. It's interesting, you weren't in it, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Some of you need to receive that because sometimes we run into people who've, who are following Jesus. Jesus has cleansed them, come into their life, and made them new. But they still, you still maybe see yourself with such regret for this darkness as this darkness still defining you. But he says, you were, but now you are light. You need to just receive that. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you're in the light... If you've come to that, you're not in darkness anymore. So you should be living, discerning what's pleasing to God. What, in this situation, what would please him? What would be like him? Someone's writing about darkness and all the different things, all the different ways you can take that. And they were saying darkness is just the absence of light. It's the place where there is no light. So carry that over to, to New, New Testament or the biblical picture of that. The absence of light is anywhere that Jesus is not. We know theologically he's everywhere, but that sense that if he had no room in your life, that's why I could talk to you being dark. And, and then he comes and he, he says, you know, I'm the light of the world. And you go through that. Isn't it interesting? He says, I'm the light of the world. And then what does he do? He heals a blind man. I mean, what a great picture of that. Somebody who went from total darkness to be able to, to see clearly. That's not where we are anymore. It's the absence of light. A lot of times in scripture, darkness is used for ignorance. It's used where people don't, people don't know, they don't understand. Like in Romans 1, when it's talking about just the, how people traded the truth of God, it says, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and here it is, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? Because they were moving away from the knowledge of God and moving away from knowing about him into the darkness. When you, you know God, when you understand him, you're moving into light. You're coming out of the darkness. You know, I see the light, people would say about that at times. People will trade that down. When you move away from, I don't agree with God on that, or I don't understand God in that, or I want to understand God in that, you're moving into, into the area of darkness because it's, it's ignorance with God. It, isn't that what... Psalm 119 says, the unfolding of your word, one translation says, the entrance of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Hey, when I'm reading your word, God, just say, hey, I want to know what you're like. I want to know what I'm like now that I'm a follower of yours. I, I want to know what life is supposed to be like. I want to know what I can count on you for. I want to know all those things. He's just pouring light into you and just shedding light on the way. You know, your word is light to my feet and a lamp to my path. He's just illuminating things before you because now you know. He's giving you understanding in those, in those areas. Or in 1 John, when John writes to these people that have become followers of Jesus and he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm writing this to you so that you'll know what sin is and not do it. So you'll know what God wants you to do and do it. I'm writing this to you so you'll know and then John, who has this thread of light through, through the gospel and through the letters, ties that in. I mean, we're commanded to be light. In, in the passage, you are light. Now, just live in that. Just be who you are. 
Don't try to cover that. Remember Jesus said, don't, nobody lights a lamp and then puts a, a basket over it. Nobody is with their friends who are far from Jesus and covers up that they belong to Jesus. You know, we're just open about, about that. We don't hide that. We're commanded to be that because we've been delivered from that. It was part of, our, it was part of all of our stories. We got out of it. You know, I've talked in the past about how my older brothers would, would lock me in the basement Wait a minute, I only had one older brother. So yeah, my bigger brothers, I should have said, because my brother Steve was always bigger than I was. So I always talk about that, that I had stereo abuse, my older brother and my big younger brother. So yeah, they talked me into getting something out of the cellar. Hey, my brother Scott is here. There you are, I've been trying to find you all service. Okay. (laughs) Scott was born too late to be mean to me, so that's that's why we're so close. Yeah, they would talk, find some reason for me to go in the cellar, turn out the light, and lock the door. And the light switch was outside, you know, wasn't in the cellar. Like, that would have made sense. So I used to hate that. I hated the, I hated the dark. Interesting, until I got married. And then I realized, I'm supposed to be a protector here. I can't, I can't be hiding behind Cindy, you know? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Why don't you check the door, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know how that goes. There's that, that darkness piece that we've been delivered from. Hey, I love this person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have gotten out of the dark. Some of, some of our stories, we thought we were in light. Some of you were so religious. That was just a different kind of darkness than those of you whose lives were out of control. Just darkness, just different shade or, or different style or where that goes. Don't you love Colossians? When it, after it tells you all about Jesus, it says, and he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He took you from that darkness and he just planted you in the kingdom of light. That's done. I always love it in scripture where it tells you these things he's done and then it makes sure you know that's already happened to you. That's your story. And then we're told to, to walk and to live in it. He says to the Ephesians, and now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles as people far from Jesus. How do they walk? In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of their hearts. You you can't live that way anymore because now you know. That's why one of the things that needs to characterize us as followers of Jesus is a hunger for the word because a hunger for the word is, God, I just want to know. I want to know what the light can bring me into, you know, where you are and where you're working and those things. In the dark... In the dark, we didn't know, but in the light, we do know. So remember, Jesus would say in John 3, he says, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Hey, don't you talk to people sometimes and they have a hard time getting saved because they'll talk to you about the things they would have to give up. That is this verse, because they love darkness more than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest the works should be exposed. You know? But whoever, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Hey, I had a mind. 
I heard about Charles Spurgeon, the British preacher, preacher in the 1800s. Someone sent him a note to extort, try to extort him that, listen, if you don't pay us this much money, we're going to go to the paper and tell them about you. And Spurgeon just wrote back and said, go ahead. You know, if your life, if you're just living your life honestly before God, you don't mind what's exposed. Do you have battles and, and temptations and struggles like anyone? Sure. But are you hiding things? Hopefully not. We're not supposed to be because we're not in the dark anymore. You know, in the dark, have you ever had this experience where you've been in the dark inappropriately and somebody flips the light on and says, what's going on in here? You know, having roomed with a brother, I'm very familiar with that, you know, (laughs) just the light comes on and now it's clear what's going on in here. You know, what's going on in here usually leads to this should not be going on in here. you know, and, and how that plays out. We're not in the dark. We're in the light. And so we need to be living as, as people of the light. What's going on? In the light, in the dark, you can't see things that might be dangerous to you. Or, or you don't see things that should be shameful to you. But isn't the wonder of the gospel? Light comes, it's exposed, and you're forgiven. And the shame is taken away. That's, that's how we're to be. That's how we're to live, especially in this culture, especially in this culture where wrong is right and right is wrong and, and the understanding of God and God's standards are just being so shelved in so many ways. We just need to be people of light, gracious light, but people, people of light because you don't live there. So before we, before we move on, you, you need to ask yourself, you don't need to ask yourself because you typically know about that area of your life that might be lurking and dark that you know about and nobody else knows about and you're making sure nobody else finds out. That's an area you need to bring to the light. Why is that? Because if you move up the umbrella, the day of the Lord is coming and, and God is coming with judgment. This is a judgment to, that judgment day of the Lord is going to be on people far from Jesus. But there's judgment that we go to before we stand before Jesus and he evaluates everything. You don't want to take that area you kept covered up year after year after year when the Holy Spirit kept giving you opportunity to, to expose it. You don't want to keep that in darkness. We are not in the dark. So don't stay there. Don't stay there. He gives them this other, this other picture. We are not asleep. So he speaks to them. The day of the Lord is coming. Somebody that's asleep, they're oblivious to what's going on and into what's happening. Whether, again, in the dark, whether something dangerous is going on, someone's breaking in their house or, uh, or whatever. You know, if we talk about the, the whole idea of labor and delivery, man, you, I've talked to so many husbands that try to get a pass for saying, yeah, I, don't, I didn't wake up in the night. I just slept through the baby. And she said that baby cried for 45 minutes. Yeah, I, I never heard it. I never heard it. At the judgment seat, we're going to find out whether that was true or whether you were just keeping your eyes closed and not moving, how that goes. Yeah. We're not asleep. We're, we're people that we know what's going on. We're awake and we're alert and, and how that goes out. In, in, the, in Scripture, like especially in the stories that Jesus would tell, being asleep meant that you were just careless and you were indifferent to what was going on. So Jesus would tell these stories about, remember, a man left servants in charge and he went away to another country, but he found out the servants knew he's not going to be back for a while. We can just do whatever we want. And then when we hear he's coming, we'll try to clean up all everything. 
he would say to that person that they were asleep, that they were just indifferent, that, that they were careless to what was going on instead of being active and alert and busy with, with what they should be doing. Awake and ready. Do you see that in his mind, that means armed. In verse 8, since we belong to the day, people sleep at night, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We are armed and ready because we're awake. Always interesting to me as I've been watching this series on uh, World War II and Living Color on Netflix, and you just see these soldiers just advance, advance, advance. They get a chance to sleep. They just fall asleep anywhere. And then something happens. They're under attack. They got to move up. They're just awake in a moment, and they're going. And that's the picture you get in a lot of Paul's letters, being armed, ready, and active. And so that is having put on the breastplate, someone said we should read that bulletproof vest because we would get that of love and of faith and love. And for a helmet, someone said a helmet that would protect you from false thinking or attacks on your thinking, the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation. Not hope I'm saved, hope I get saved, but all of the hope that came with salvation. All of the hope of who Jesus was and who he'd made you and what he'd promised. All of those things, you've just got firmly fixed on your head your wide awake head, so you live in light of all of this that salvation has brought me. And then he says to them this, this, this one last illustration, we are not drunk. We are not drunk. Isn't it interesting, the very first day of the church, the day of Pentecost, that's what they were accused of. These men, what's going on here? Oh, they're just drunk. Peter says, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. You know, what's happening here is the Holy Spirit being unleashed and for the first time as, as it ever was done. So it's funny that that was the first accusation. But Paul makes sure that should never be an accusation about us. People that get drunk, they get drunk at night. People that get drunk are trying not to deal with life. They're trying to ignore maybe what's going on in their life or they're trying to just push down the pressures that they're feeling maybe or maybe they were just out to have a good time and then it just kind of ran away and became more than it was supposed to do. Someone said, when you're drunk, you're living a false paradise in a false reality. Isn't that a good way of looking at that? Which is true of, you know, I've heard from people that told me that they're either happy drunks, drunks or angry drunks, you know? And so people that were out just having a fun time and just let that run. But then there are other people that when they get drunk, it just makes bad things worse in their thinking, you know? And so we're, we're not like that. We're not allowing our thoughts to be affected by something else. They're numbed. Boy, they were wasted. Those are words that, that appropriately describe people who are drunk. They're numb. They're just gone. They're all these different phrases we have for it, all of which fit this passage that Paul's speaking to that's a, and saying, that should not be us. That should not be us. Don't, we can't use them. They're too, you know, they're intoxicated. They won't help us. We shouldn't let them drive. They're impaired. Carry that over to, hey, we need help here in the building. Yeah, they're just not, they're impaired for what we're trying to do here. That should not be us. You know, the context is that Jesus and judgment are coming. Don't be drunk. You know, for some of you, your stories, some of you that had a, who have been delivered out of addiction, some of your stories were the worse things got, the more you used. 
where the more you drank, the worse it got, or the more hopeless you felt, the more you tried to escape. That's this context. Jesus is coming and judgment is coming. Don't, don't be that person. Don't be drunk. Be alert. Instead, be sober, which is clear. I can think clearly. I can evaluate clearly. My priorities are in place, and what I should be doing is there. I'm aware of what's going on. And so, um, yeah, that's not the verse I was looking for. Yeah, let me come back. I'm thinking in 1 Peter 5. Remember, Peter says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, roars around like a, like a roaring lion. You better be sober and clear if you're hoping to withstand the attacks that Satan has for you, the attacks that he's planned for a long time and that he knows exactly how to unleash on you and when to unleash on you. You had better be clear in that moment if you hope to withstand that. If you hope to tap into what the Holy Spirit can do and what the scriptures say in that moment, then you better be ready for that. And so we're not drunk, especially in light of the coming of Jesus. We're clear and we're aware and we're responding. Hey, what do I need to do in this moment? What do I need to do in this moment? What does Jesus need me to do in this moment? What does the church need me to do in this moment? What do the people around me need me to do in this moment? I can do that because I'm clear. And, and I am not, I'm not drunk. I'm not in the dark, I'm not asleep, and I'm not drunk. So I am living in that sense that we are living in light of the day of the Lord because we're aware it's coming and we're aware it's drawing near. We're ready, I appreciate, it's just some of this quote. Warren Wiersbe said, and I appreciate this, being ready to be with Jesus is very different from being ready to be before Jesus. You know, we're ready to be with him forever. I mean, he's promised salvation is forever. But to be ready to stand before him, I mean, I've lived, I'm living the way he wants. I'm engaged where I need to be engaged. You know, he, I'm giving him what he asked me to give him in whatever area. That's a whole different story. And that's what not being in the dark, not being asleep, not being drunk, that's where that leads us. Boy, light, uh, being in the light, being awake, being sober. That's where that is. So let me just walk you through things I hear from times, times to people. Yeah, I just don't, I don't really get into the word. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm busy. I, I don't get it. That is asleep. That's asleep, you know. I don't really share Jesus because that's not really who I am. It's asleep. It's in the dark. It's a night statement, you know. Making the church large, finding your role in making the church Large. I'm not saying it and making it grow. I'm just saying make us large in light of what God wants us to be. Yeah, I'm not really that involved. I'm not really engaged. Life's really busy. That is in the dark, asleep, drunk thinking. You know, prayer, I just don't really, you know, I don't really pray that much. I pray in my own way. I understand we pray in our own way, but a lot of times I hear that and I know that's really, a, that's really kind of a smoke screen, isn't it, for I really don't pray much. You know, I'm, I'm really, I would never come to prayer meeting. That is in the dark, asleep, drunk, thinking, or talking. Yeah. I'm enjoying this live stream. Get the opportunity to be at home. You know, it's probably a little safer. And I want to say on the one hand, hey, some people are, have health, are health uh, compromised. I mean, we talked about whether do we have service, do we stay online. We worried about our elderly people. And then the team, we all realized most of our elderly people, there was no way we were going to be able to talk them into staying home. 
where they were safe and healthy. So, Jeanette, Albert, here you are, you know? So, I understand that there's, but I also understand the live stream gives a huge temptation just to stay home. That's in the dark, asleep, drunk thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get around to defeating this. I'm going to get around to having victory in this area. This issue, this fear, whatever that is, I'm going to get around to that. That is, in the dark, asleep, drunk thinking. If you're sporadic, if we see you here sometimes and not here sometimes, that is in the dark, asleep, drunk living. I'm just telling you what I see, what I see in the scriptures and trying to bring that with things that I hear all the time from people when I'm engaging with them. Hey, I missed you. Yeah, we had things going on and, you, you know. Okay. When you have things going on, you're making a priority statement about where Jesus is. You know, I want to, I mean, if you get a chance to get away for a weekend, hey, I want to, I want to affirm that and embrace that. But if it's just, it's stuff going on, that's a statement. So, it's interesting. When you think of what being in the dark, being asleep, and being drunk have in common, totally unaware of what's happening around you, good or bad. You know, there's some really good things happening in church life. And if you're in the dark, asleep, or drunk, you, you're totally unaware of those things. Because when you're asleep, you're unaware when, when, you, when that happens. Or, positive or negative. Yeah. You have no emotions. When you are... In the dark, when you're asleep, you're not emotional. When you're drunk, you're not, you don't have appropriate emotions if you have them. Remember they said to Jesus when he was asleep in the boat and the boat was about to sink, don't you care? Don't you care? That's an emotion. No, I don't. I was asleep. I didn't know. So when you're there, so you're unaware, you have no emotions, your spot is empty. When you are in the dark and asleep and drunk, your spot is empty. The spot where God has for you in the life of church or life of other people or blessing people, like Steve said, that spot goes empty because you can't show up. You have nothing to contribute when you're asleep or when you're in the dark or when you're drunk. But when you're asleep or when you're drunk, it's just so comfortable, isn't it? And you're at peace when you shouldn't be at peace. And if mom is walking around with that screaming baby and you're at peace, you should not be. So, you know, you, you're at peace in those times when you shouldn't be at peace. I hate hearing people say that. People, when I know their life is off, yeah, but I'm at peace. I'm at peace. Jonah, uh, I heard Warren Rizzi preaching one time in Jonah. He said, everyone in Jonah's boat was frantic out of their mind, and he's at peace asleep in the boat. So peace is never an indication of whether, thing, uh, peace alone is never an indication of whether you're in God's will and doing what you should be or not. Here he says to us, here he says to us, the day of the Lord is coming, this terrible day of judgment. Don't be in the dark, don't be asleep, and don't be a drunk, don't be drunk as you, as you see it coming. It's not going to overtake us like a thief because we know it's coming. And so we need to be at work. And the main thing we need to be at work about doing is making people know, know the gospel, making them know how they can escape the day of the Lord. That falls to us. That's how we maximize this time. Isn't this interesting how Ephesians, uh, I need to go over here to Ephesians chapter 5. There we go. Yeah, watch these themes come up. I didn't notice this till this morning. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. 
but rather expose them. It's shameful to even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. That's why it says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. And he goes on, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that funny? Dark, you know, wake up, sleeper, and don't be drunk with wine, but be totally filled and controlled by the Spirit. There they are, those three, those three things. So live alert. Be so thankful. We have First Thessalonians 4, that we're, we're delivered from this world before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because we be motivated to share Jesus because the great terrible day of the Lord is coming. So I'm going to be teaching a, a thing on the contagious Christian. Helps people find what's my best way to share Jesus. What's my style of doing that? And in a couple, couple of weeks, in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about that. But hey, it says to, to minister to each other, singing songs and hymns and spiritual hymns. So I just asked Jen if she'd just come up. Let's just do a cappella, that last, that last part of the blessing you know, that, that we sang a moment ago, Lord bless you and keep you, and we'll sing that over ourselves. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. that you would just go before us this week, that we would accept that blessing upon ourselves, God. And just know that you are walking beside us and before us and behind us and around us, Lord. And you will give us your Holy Spirit to put away those things that we need to, Lord, the things that are in the darkness, God, because you want to expose them to the light and you want us to walk in your light. And we can do that with your Holy Spirit. So we just accept that today, Lord. Be with us this week. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.